You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. For about two centuries now, every four years, the eyes of our country turn to the Capitol in Washington, D.C. as the president, either newly elected or re-elected, is invited to place his hand on a Bible and to pledge the oath of office. The oath of office is an interesting thing when you think about it. Because why is it that we ask the person elected to be president to swear an oath, to make a vow, to make a promise? And there are a couple of possible reasons, I think, for this. One is that you only make a promise, you only make an oath, that there's a reasonable presumption you might not keep it. So we make the president swear an oath precisely because we're afraid the president may not do what he's swearing to do, or she, God willing, in the future, is swearing to do. I'm not, that's not an endorsement of a specific person, I just mean I hope in the future it is. <laughs> There's another possible reason, of course, why we have uh, the president swear an oath of office, which is so we can all be on the same page. So we have an awareness and an understanding of what the president is going to do so we know what to reasonably expect of that person, of that individual. And so every four years, we have the president take an oath of office. Our Torah portion today talks about a very similar kind of phenomenon. The very beginning of the portion tells uh, Moses to gather the Roshé Matot, the heads of the tribes, and Moses speaks to them something that God commands. He says, A person that makes a vow to God or that swears an oath to forbid something to himself should not break his promise. Everything that comes out of his or her mouth, he must do. Now the commentators ask, why is it that Moses needs specifically to gather the heads of the tribes to give this commandment about oaths? Usually, when Moses gathers people to give a commandment from God, it's all of the people. Right? Or maybe sometimes the priests, if it's something specifically relating to the priests. Or if it's relating to one person, one individual, Moses will speak to that person. But this is the only instance where Moses specifically gathers the Moshe Matot, the heads of the tribes, to command them. And so it's important to know what it is that he's commanding in this unique instance. And he commands the leaders of the tribes about vows, about promises. The Chatham Sofer, a medieval commentator, says that the reason that Moses specifically gathers the leaders to give them this ruling about vows 
is because of the first reason that I suggested we have our leaders take oaths of office, which is because leaders are prone to break their promises. So you have them give special, you have Moses give special instructions about the vows to precisely the people who are most prone to breaking the vows. But I think another possible reason is the second reason I suggested that we have our leaders take oaths of office, which is that we want everybody in a community, whether you are a head of that community, a leader of that community, or not, to be on the same page together. To know what to expect of each other, and therefore to know what standards to hold each other to. To know when you're succeeding or when you're failing. When a promise is kept and when a promise is not kept. And so the leaders are gathered together by Moses and told about the importance of vows because leaders should make oaths, should make promises, should make vows so that the whole community knows what to expect of them. With that in mind, I wanted to share with you this morning what we might consider my oath of office. There are a few approaches that drive me Jewishly that I want to say from the outset are what I want to try to uphold as the rabbi of this community. Not as the leader of the community, but as a leader of the community, a participant in the leadership of the community. But here's what drives me and here's what I'm going to strive to do as your rabbi. Here's what animates me. Here's what motivates me. And here is what I want us to be on the same page about. So there are about five principles. Maimonides had 13 principles of Judaism. I have five principles of Judaism. Okay? So I got down uh, a little bit further than Maimonides. Uh, but he had more leeway because he was Maimonides. He could do 13. I, I'm, I'm just a little you know, peanut, so I get to do five. So here are my five. The first is that I believe that Judaism should be inclusive. I think that the two most central axioms of the Jewish tradition are that human beings are created in the image of the divine, and that human dignity outweighs all other commandments. Which means that my feeling is that Judaism should serve individual people. Judaism should help make your life better. Communities should be embracing the welcoming of each and every individual and accommodating of the needs of each and every individual and not the other way around. My experience in growing up in the Jewish community has often been that the inverse happens even though people are uh, very well-intentioned about it. That rabbis and leaders tend to approach Judaism as people are here to serve Judaism. People are here to perpetuate Judaism. People are here to serve the interests of the community, and if they don't match a rigid definition of what the community is, then they are kept on the outside or made to feel like outsiders. So my first promise to you is that I hope to embody and bring an inclusive approach to Judaism. That each individual matters, and that there's space inside the tent for everybody. The second principle that guides me 
is that Judaism is communal in nature. It's a little bit maybe contradictory to the first principle, but I think it's no less important. Because we get our strength, we get our dynamism, we get our vibrancy by coming together as community. By bringing our individual talents, our own gifts, to the tent, but using them in service of something greater than ourselves. There's a reason why the central story of the Jewish tradition is the Exodus. Because unlike other faith traditions that focus on the revelation of one individual and then spreading the word of that tradition, the central story of Judaism is about a people who were taken by God from slavery in Egypt and who marched together out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. And I think that that is central to who we are, that we can't get to the promised land unless we do it together. So whether you are from Henrico, or whether you are from the city of Richmond, whether you are young, whether you are older in years, whether you feel young at heart, or whether you feel old at heart, whether you are our youngest members, whether you are our most senior members, whatever color you are, whatever background you're from, wherever you're from, I want us to build one community. And to have space in that community for everyone. The third principle that drives me is that Judaism, I think, should be dynamic. We are a tradition of rootedness, we're a tradition of text, we're a tradition of history, we're a tradition of tradition, and that is profoundly important. As a rabbi, I spend the majority of my time studying ancient texts, and I love it. I love immersing myself in that world, but I also know what I believe the rabbis of the Talmud and the authors of the Bible knew as well, which is that if you do not change, you fade away. And so in each and every stage of Jewish history, there were incremental and evolutionary and sometimes revolutionary changes that took place. And if you look at the Bible through the lens of scholarship and advanced criticism, that's not being critical of the Bible, that's being a uh, scholar of the Bible, which is maybe a bad term, you can see the evolution of Jewish ideas over time. And if you read the Talmud, and if you read the Midrash, you see some small shifts and some major shifts in Jewish thinking over time. One of the most major is that a few days ago, we commemorated the 17th of Tammuz, which Ed talked about in his Hathorian introduction, which commemorates the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem by the Romans. Three weeks later, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, and the whole way of being Jewish almost was wiped out. And the rabbis of the Talmud took a revolutionary step, and they said that we don't need a temple and we don't need sacrifices to practice Judaism. And they said, He chesed They used a phrase from the prophets that God wants love and not sacrifice. And with that in mind, they transformed 
what it meant to be Jewish because that was the need of the community at the time. It is built into our history, it's built into our tradition that dynamism should be an essential part of what we do. And so I pledge and I promise, my oath of office as your rabbi is that we as a community should never stay static. We should constantly be evaluating our needs and adapting to position ourselves for strength in the future, using our tradition as a guide and our history as a yardstick, but always having an eye toward what we can build on the horizon. The fourth principle that guides me is that Judaism should be transformative. And there are two levels, I think, that Judaism should be transformative. The first is that Judaism should be personally transformative. As I said before, I believe that Judaism exists to serve Jews, to help make our lives better. And so when I say Judaism is transformative, I mean that we ourselves are not meant to stay static. We ourselves are invited to become better iterations and better versions of who we are. That's why one of the most celebrated holidays in the Jewish tradition is Yom Kippur. Because what is Yom Kippur if not a day in which we spend thinking about the ways that we might be able to change, the ways in which we might be able to be better people, better iterations of ourselves in the coming year. Central to what Judaism is, is that we should constantly be thinking about how to transform ourselves, how to make ourselves better people, how to live the best lives we possibly can. And Judaism, I think, is supposed to be transformative on another level. We've all heard the phrase of Taken Olam, the Malchut Shaddai, and Yahweh, we say it, that we should repair the world through God's sovereignty. That our charge as Jews is to make this world a more just, a more compassionate, a more loving, a more peaceful place. We pray each morning, each afternoon, each evening for peace. Justice is a central theme of our liturgy and of our textual tradition. And that's not an empty word because we are commanded to pursue it we should pursue justice. We should be, in the words of the Mishnah, from the students of Aaron the priest, we should be lovers of peace, pursuers of peace, lovers of people, and people who bring others close to Torah. Judaism is supposed to be transformative, which means that when I teach Torah, I have an eye toward how that Torah can help make me and make us better people and inspire us to make the world a better place. It means that from time to time, I may say something that sounds political. And I want to say that off the bat because I don't think that Judaism endorses a particular partisan approach. But insofar as 
politics can be the avenue to change our community, to change our society, to change the world. There are Jewish values that I think might inspire and transform our way of thinking and our way of action. And so if you hear something from me that comes across as political, first of all, you know, when people come up to the rabbi later and say, Rabbi, you should stop speaking politics from the pulpit, chances are what they mean is stop saying the politics that I don't agree with from the pulpit, because if you were saying the politics that I did agree with, I wouldn't be coming and giving you the comment. So the first thing I want to suggest is I will do everything I can to check in with whether or not I am teaching one of Knox's crazy ideas or whether what I'm saying rings loud and clear from the tradition. And if it rings loud and clear from the tradition, I feel I have a responsibility to share it because it is an, a call from our tradition to how we can make the world a better place. But I will always do so in the spirit of inclusion and of conversation. The fifth and final thing, the principle that guides me, is that Judaism should be joyous. I'm a big Springsteen fan. And Bruce Springsteen has a, a great line that says, it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. And I think central to what it means to be a Jew is to live life in joy and in celebration. Idu et adonai besimcha bo lefanav birnani. Serve God with joy, come before God with song. There are going to be hard times that we will have together as a community and as individuals. That's where community comes in. But overall, the feeling, the sense, the atmosphere that I want to create here at Bethel with your partnership is an atmosphere of celebration and an atmosphere of joy. We only get one shot at this life thing. So we might as well do it with song, we might as well do it with laughter, and we might as well do it with smiles. So I, Rabbi Michael Knopf, do solemnly swear to uphold the sacred principles of Temple Beth El to love each and every member of Temple Bethel and to be guided by a Judaism that is inclusive, communal, dynamic, transformative, and joyous. So help me God. Shabbat Shalom.